Hi, friends. Uh, my name is Chandrasekhar, Chandra for short. Uh, Pax, am I audible? Yes, you are. Go for it. Okay, cool. So thanks for having me. My name is Chandra. Uh, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm sober today by the grace of God, whom I found in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety date is... Uh, somewhere between the 7th of July and the 8th of July, 2010. And uh, I just don't remember. I was fallen on a, uh, on a road uh, somewhere before somebody, uh, you know, my family reached out to me. They picked me up and I was put into uh, a rehabilitation center. Um, and so I'm, I'm hitting my 10th year now and, you know, life is good. Uh, I've, my, my home group is the Holy Family Group in... Uh, in Andheri, which is a suburb of Mumbai, uh, which is on the west coast of India. I have a sponsor. My sponsor's name is Raj Bharat. He has a sponsor. His sponsor's name is, uh, he just expired, late Richie Fernandez. And uh, we can trace up our chain uh, to, to our sponsors and our grand sponsors and so on and so forth. Uh, I've done step one to nine to the best of my ability uh, after I came out of rehab with my sponsor. And uh, I try and stay in step 10 and 11. And every weekend I try and work uh, the steps with my sponsor and sponsee, trying to practice step 12. And uh, I'm available for AA service as, as the work demands. So I'm really happy to be here. Uh, uh, and, you know, share in English. Back home, we've got all Hindi meetings. So uh, if I do break into Hindi, suddenly just Pax, just step in and, you know, let me know that I'm speaking Hindi so that I can switch back into English. Uh, the natural progression for me here is Hindi uh, uh, in an AA meeting. Uh, the other thing is that uh, if I suddenly blank out, I just might take some, uh, you know, 30 seconds or so to just uh, blank back in. We have weak uh, Wi-Fi networks sometimes in India. Uh, so I'm going to switch and toggle between two networks. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So um, thanks for reading that, Sonalila. Uh, really, really, uh, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it. When I did my steps with my sponsor and it hit about the ninth step, you know, I still could understand the part alcohol played in my life. And I could understand some of the promises that God was, uh, you know, playing and, you know, in early sobriety, I was in a pink cloud stage and a lot of things. And uh, when my sponsor read this out to me, it suddenly hit me that actually all the promises uh, that I wanted, alcohol was doing it for me. And I realized that whatever this... Uh, phenomenon or apparition or this existence called Chandrasekhar is the fact that uh, for Chandrasekhar to function properly, alcohol actually was a solution. It was not a problem because I had my first spiritual experience when I had those first two pegs of rum when I was 18 and, you know, studying uh, in my engineering college with my seniors. I found that I could look at people in the eye. I, could, I found that I could talk to them about anything, about physics, about cricket, about politics, about Bollywood. 
and I found that I could be perfectly at ease and peace with myself. There used to be a time where I used to be fairly restless as a as a child. I needed, you know, to do something all the time. I used to be edgy. You know, I wanted to play the guitar. I wanted to play the piano. I wanted to play the keyboard. I wanted to learn coding. I wanted to do various things. I wanted to, you know, watch a movie and so on and so forth. And it continued way into my life, right? Till I was 17, 18, 19. And then I discovered alcohol. And I remember those weekends, I could sit, you know, I used to, I used to keep wondering, what do I do on the weekend? Shall I go, you know, try going out with my friends or shall I watch a movie or shall I do some painting and should I, uh, you know, try and learn my guitar or, you know, play the keyboard. And every Saturday, my house used to look or my room used to look like a dumpster because, you know, there was the guitar was there, the computer was there. The unfinished paintings were there. The paints were lying on the floor. Everything was there. But I still had that, you know, nagging feeling of incompleteness in me. And then I was introduced to alcohol. And all I needed was those two pegs to rocket me into a certain sense of peace and ease, which I ever needed. You see... The problem was that somewhere in the middle of my drinking career, the solution backfired on me. This solution, which used to complete Chandrasekhar, with Chandrasekhar, I'm, I'm, I'm short, um, I'm, you know, I'm a little stout, I'm a little wide, I can't, uh, you know, I can't, I couldn't seem to, you know, talk to the opposite sex with a lot of ease. I couldn't seem to talk to... Uh, uh, you know, people who were uh, elder than me with a lot of ease. Um, you know, I couldn't, uh, you know, ask uh, people out whether, you know, they want to go out with me or I couldn't, uh, you know, really function as a normal human being before. Um, but it, things got a little amazing um, as I put two pegs into my body. I suddenly felt complete. I suddenly felt, you know, uh, complete is the word. I felt serene. I felt complete and things like that. And therefore, the, the lovely, uh, you know, interpretation of the promises in terms of what alcohol was doing for me before I found the program. Now, we keep hearing that there's a God-shaped hole in everybody. And the issue is that uh, that God shape all actually forms when you stop drinking. Because if your problem is powerlessness, then the solution must lie in power. And if your problem has proved to be cunning, baffling, and powerful, then your solution must actually be more cunning, more baffling, and more powerful. And I was told by the program is that one is God, may you find him now. So I walked along into AA. I had no plans at the age of 36. I, uh, I said, okay, you know, I waltz into AA because, uh, you know, we had our 15th uh, year reunion at my school and, you know, I passed out and my 75 year old dad with my sister came to my friend's place and 
My friend says, we are shocked seeing this chap. I don't know what he's been doing. He's been drinking the whole night. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing. And, you know, they carried me back home. And, you know, at home, there was a gentleman who had come from AA and he spoke to me and, you know, he says, look, you know, if you want what we have, we have a few meetings and we also have a 12-step program. So back here, when I, uh, when I joined, I came here and I started looking at everybody and this is, I like the statement on the board that says, this too shall pass. You know, it felt really nice because uh, considering the fact that, you know, I had completely uh, gone, uh, gone berserk and ballistic uh, over the past three days uh, with my school friends and, you know, for the reunion, et cetera, it was, it was crazy. It's like, you know, I don't know whether you've seen this movie, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, completely opposite of that. Uh, and it was, it was crazy. I couldn't open my eyes without being embarrassed. And um, so I was in the AA meeting and I liked what these guys were saying, you know, and these guys were saying, oh, you know, uh, pretty much rock bottom drinking happens in Bombay, right? So some people come in without fingers, without, you know, eyes and so on and so forth. And some people come in and say, you know, I slept on the road. I was just completely devastated. I had an accident and, you know, things like that. And I was sitting there and comparing and I was saying, you know what? I'm not like that. Uh, I, I have never beaten my wife. I have never, uh, you know, slept on the road. Uh, I haven't, you know, crashed my car into a police station. You know, the roof of my upper palate hasn't been sunburnt, you know, things like that. But uh, I could sense that these guys were a friendly bunch and, you know, they meet well, they meant well, they followed up with me well. And, you know, uh, I could kind of get them to, you know, come and pick me up when, as and when I wanted, etc. So uh, things got along well and I started doing the AA meetings and I started understanding this. I realized that, uh, you know, there was a lot of claps that used to happen in the meeting and it was fun. So I learned how to share. And then while sharing, I learned that there was a code that one needs to use saying, hey, my name is Chandrasekhar. I'm an alcoholic. I liked, uh, it sounded very sexy to call, call oneself an alcoholic. You know, I'm an alcoholic. It, I don't know. Uh, maybe I've heard some too many uh, <laughs> movies of the past or whatever. And I said, I'm an alcoholic. And I said, I'm sober today by the grace of God. So these were my first two lies in AA because I didn't know what it meant to be an alcoholic. And uh, the second one was, uh, you know, I hadn't met Mr. Krishna or Mr. Christ or, or, you know, any one of the flavors of God that we, traditional gods. And, you know, how could I be sober today by the grace of God? I didn't know what that meant. But I said it anyways, because uh, although I'm a man of science and, uh, I know, or I knew that God didn't exist, but if he existed, I didn't want him to do something to me. So therefore I said, let's play the safe route and, you know, to say, okay, I'm sober today by the grace of God, because everybody says it. Now I've been doing this, uh, you know, skip a meeting, skip a drink, do a meeting for some time. And you know, I used to fall after every seven days, 14 days, every time there was a weekend, every time there was a holiday, something used to come to my mind and say, hey, you know, Chandra, Chandra, just go drink two pegs, have some, uh, you know, have some good chicken, have some meat, have some kebabs and just relax. You're so tired. And 
what used to happen was I used to suffer and whatever the stuff that used to happen, people used to say in meetings, you started happening. You know, I, uh, there was physical violence at home, which I never intended. Um, I got my first DUI, I got my second DUI. Uh, I almost got into jail. Uh, my license, my driver's license was suspended. I lost a job. I almost lost my second job. Uh, I had my neighbors calling the cops on me and a whole host of things. I, I slept on the road for a few days and, you know, weird things started happening. I used to go, uh, you know, I used to come, I used to be returning back from office and I said, okay, today you're tired. You're not going to drink like yesterday. You're just going to have two packs of rum or two packs of whiskey and you're going to have some really good food and you're going to sleep. Right. And I used to start off on that and, you know, I used to wake up. Uh, in my car at some godforsaken place after like six hours. And that used to be a, a pattern. So it started getting scary and I realized, you know, this is, this is a problem. And, you know, the A members here, uh, they used to call on me, they used to follow up and therefore I really respect whatever uh, the meetings here are. It's important to kind of attract the newcomer to the meetings because meetings are a gateway to Alcoholics Anonymous. But whenever I used to come into the meetings, a lot of people used to tell me, Chandrasekhar, you know what? This is your chirpiness. This is your cockiness. You need to amp up your acceptance. You need to amp up your surrender. I used to hear stuff like that. And I, I kept wondering, how will I know that I have surrendered? Now you will get an inner voice. How will I know that that's my inner voice? How will I know that you know, I have accepted? So these sort of questions. Other questions like, okay, now I started getting bolder in AA. What is the grace of God? I'm just coming here. I'm skipping a drink. 7.30, I should be in a bar somewhere in a pub having a drink. And I'm just here. And as luck would have it, uh, I just kept slipping, slipping, slipping. And, you know, things got from bad to worse. Uh, over three rapid, ra there was a rapid decline in three to four months. And I was... Uh, I was whisked off to rehab. Actually, my boss came to know about my alcoholism and he says, you know, this is priority. You need to shape up. Uh, God bless him. He actually um, gave me a three-month break and he says, why don't you go to rehab? And I was like, wow, this is great. I'm going to go just get some time out. So I spent the next three days just getting drunk. And telling everybody that, you know, all the celebs, by the way, go to rehab, you know, XYZ goes to rehab, uh, you know, all the actors go to rehab and Chandra is going to rehab. It's, I still get the shivers when I think about that. Uh, nevertheless, so, you know, I was going to rehab and, you know, I had no clue what alcoholism was. I had no clue what the grace of God was. I had no clue about anything whatsoever. But I had this really good, you know, knowledge repository of mental obsession, physical allergy, you know, uh, I can't quit, cannot control, you know, insanity is doing the same things again and again while expecting different results. And I had all these, you know, sexy, shiny things on me, which I could do a really, you know, spanking, thumping, sharing. And the entire rehab used to clap and I used to feel damn happy about it. I knew exactly what 
and how and why I was dying. But I did not have a solution. So my sharing used to go, you know, as a mental obsession or, you know, how we are, we are restless, irritable, discontented, or, you know, there's a physical allergy, there's this, there's that. And by the way, I keep doing the same things over and over. So it's insanity. And therefore I've come into a meeting today. And therefore, just for today, I'm sober. That used to be my sharing. And deep within, I knew that wasn't a solution for me. Skip a drink, do a meeting every day was not a solution for me. Spending a lifetime in rehab was not a solution good enough for me. I wanted more. I wanted an abundant life. I wanted a joyous life. I wanted a full life. I really was thirsting for a solution. And I had this, uh, you know, the big book in India, the third edition used to cost 70 rupees 10 years ago. And I had this big book with me and I kept reading it for some reason. But I, I understood nothing. It, it was as if, you know, it used to just bounce off my mind and bounce off stuff. I understood absolutely nothing. And, you know, I spent about 100 days in rehab. And when my wife saw me after, after about 90 days, she, she saw a man who was physically very fit. But she saw a man who was completely stripped of his confidence. She saw a man who was staring blankly into space. And she saw a man who was very, very open-minded, but didn't know what to do next. And, you know, in the rehab, they didn't do anything to me. They didn't make any surgery or operation or things like that. There used to be like two hours of input in the morning, two hours of output. There used to be life history writing. There used to be some prayers in the morning. There used to be some yoga sessions. Uh, we followed the Minnesota model, uh, like uh, I think like Hazelden, but thrown in with a lot of yoga and so on and so forth in the rehab. But we didn't have the 12 steps. And, you know, I was taking every sort of advice that uh, I got into me. You know, I... I could sense that, you know, I was struggling, my family was struggling and somewhere within, I got a thought saying, you know, I'm going to give this stuff, whatever this stuff is, I'm going to give it one chance. Otherwise, I don't care. I'm going to die drinking. So if somebody goes and says, okay, you got to say this, whatever, Zambian prayer, Every morning at 6.30, I used to wake up in the rehab and say that prayer at 6.30 every morning. If somebody says, okay, now you've got to do the Hindu Gayatri Mantra, you know, at this particular time, I used to do that. If somebody says, okay, this is, um, you know, the Bible, somebody needs to read out of it, uh, you know, one page a day, I used, I used to start doing it. If people say, wash, your bath, wash the bathrooms, I used to wash the bathrooms at the rehab. Somebody says, you know, clean the utility utensils, clean the utensils. Somebody says do therapeutic duty activity, which is gardening. I used to do gardening. And I used to do everything. I said, I'm going to give everything just one chance because I'm completely fed up. I don't know what's happening to me and things like that. And um, somebody, one AA member actually met me and he asked me, you know, Chandrasekhar, you know why you're in rehab? So I said, yeah, because I keep getting drunk. He said, no, let's, let's, let's open this out for you. 
on the outside chandrasekhar is inseparable from alcohol so on the outside chandrasekhar and alcohol are one entity so chandrasekhar is always drinking and he is not drinking normally he is drinking abnormally and he is causing harm to others and he is causing harm to himself a person who causes harm to others or to himself is called mental is called uh, insane so this mental person has to be put into a protected place or a protection where he is separated from alcohol physically and then he is given the necessary inputs and outputs and the life story writing etc and the therapeutic duty to make him realize somehow that you know alcohol is bad for him when i was 5 years old um, my finger had gone onto the electric wire in an ac dc plug point in an ac plug point and i got a big shock because my hands were wet and i was playing around near one of those loose wires after that i have never ever gone close to a plug point even if somebody is wiping it with a wet wet cloth or my kid goes and plays near the electric plug point i kind of pull her back that defense mechanism is in place alcohol burnt me for about what 18 years you know it took away a lot from me but the next day my mind used to give me permission saying chandrasekhar don't drink like yesterday today just have two packs of whiskey have some kebabs and just relax and that was again doing same things again and again while expecting different results which is insanity and i was given protection in that rehab where i was not free and i learned that the latin word for protection is asylum and i suddenly learned that maybe what the guys are saying is true i became open to believe that i might be insane and there was this book there was this one sentence in the big book that kept speaking to me saying that your mind is as abnormal as your body every alcoholic must believe that your mind is as abnormal as your body and here i am after 90 100 days of rehab my wife's looking at me and you know there lay a person who was physically very fit but completely blank i mean completely stripped off his confidence doesn't know just looking into space and saying maybe my mind is as abnormal as your body and i didn't want to leave the rehab because i knew that the moment i left the rehab i'm going to drink and i'm going to die so it was 90 days 100 days and i just didn't want to leave the rehab i said no way i'm leaving this place in fact i told my wife that you know i'm going to be a counselor here i ha- i can share really well i can explain concepts really well it's pretty cool to be an engineer counselor and an alcoholic and you know you might want to kind of relocate somewhere close by and once you relocate close by you know you get your kid and i was weaving all these plans you know saying because i just didn't want to leave rehab and that's when i met my first sponsor my sponsor told me you know there was there used to be these regular aa guys coming into meetings 
And uh, my initial sponsor, he said, uh, you know, just keep reading the big book. I did some stuff and stuff like that. I remember when I came out of rehab, I still was not very confident on stuff. And I went to meet, uh, you know, I, I, I went to an AA meeting where somebody was celebrating his first birthday. This was about 10 days after I came out from rehab. And the guy was celebrating his ten, first birthday and he was saying, you know what, uh, you know, I did this four column inventory, I've taken a sponsor and so on and so forth. And I didn't know what that stuff was. And then they called upon me to share and I shared saying, you know, I have a mental obsession, I have a physical allergy, insanity is doing the same things again and again while expecting different results. I was in rehab for 100 days and therefore I'm coming in now. I've come into a meeting so that I can stay away from a drink. And therefore I'm sober just for today. And this guy's sponsor got up. He was about 10 years, 10 years sober that time. He, he got up and he shared and he completely effed the, sh the heck out of my sharing. He said, these newcomers come out of rehab and they give some disco lingo and think that they can be sober. And he says that, you know exactly why you're dying, but you don't know the source or you don't know the solution. And he pointed me to page 44 of the big book. And he says, do you know why you're alcoholic? I said, yes, I'm alcoholic because my wife's gone. My job's gone. Uh, everything what I hold dear is gone. You know, uh, if I drink, I do crazy things. I've fallen on the road. He said, there are only two necessary and sufficient conditions for you to be an alcoholic. He says, if you honestly want to, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading from the book, if you, page 44, third line. If when you honestly want to, you find that you cannot quit and if while drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, then you're probably alcoholic. Wow, this was a revolution to me. I suddenly got, got the definition of alcoholism. You cannot quit and you cannot control, therefore you're alcoholic. If you could quit, you wouldn't be an alcoholic. If you could control, you wouldn't be an alcoholic. And this took me such a long time to get. I don't know why. I knew it. I could say it. I could recite it. But it never hit me at the bottom of my heart. It never hit me in a way till when the sponsor opened a big book and showed me. And then he read the next sentence. And he says, the next sentence says, if that be the case, then you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience can conquer. Page 44, big book. And it says, from now on, I'm going to take you through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you think. I only care that you will do what I say. And if what I say is not in the big book, then just throw it away. But if it's in the big book, if you can reconcile what I say into the big book, then you need to do that stuff. These were probably the two most important sentences of my life because I suddenly realized that
that this game of recovery of alcohol from alcoholism is not about you know this mickey mouse program of skip a drink do a me meeting it's not about getting 90 days 90 meetings the solution is to get a spiritual experience amazing he then pointed out to me the first sentence of our big book and he says that look the alcoholics anonymous book is called the basic text for recovery from alcoholism and whenever you think of a textbook you need to think of a teacher who has the knowledge giving it to the student who wants the knowledge that seemed good that seemed fair so he pointed me to the first sentence of the big book which was towards the forward as it appeared in 1939 and he said we of alcoholics anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body he pointed out to me that recovery lies in the first sentence of the big book and when he says that they've recovered what did they get they essentially recovered through a spiritual experience that they got from doing whatever is outlined in the book oh my god for the past x number of months i was struggling in a i didn't know why i was alcoholic simply because i couldn't quit and couldn't control and i didn't know what the grace of god but i realized that if i have to get out of this stuff I need to get a spiritual experience. They've used the word only a spiritual experience can conquer. They've used the word conquer. The reason why they've used the word conquer is because this alcoholic Chandrasekhar is not going to go down without a fight. And to enable you to fight, you need a guide, you need a teacher, you need a sponsor, you need an SPO and a CR, a sober person offering newcomer steps on re recovery. The second sentence in the big book says to show other alcohol colleagues precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book which meant that you know people who got sober he explained to me that people who got sober in 1930 bill w got sober in 1934 he got a white light flash experience they were doing the six steps of oxford group there was no aa at that point in time bill w passed it on to dr bob dr bob and bill passed it on to bill dobson a number three, A number four, etc., etc., etc. In 1939, they started counting and they said, one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh gosh, we are 100 alcoholics who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. What did these 100 alcoholics get? They did the steps of Oxford Group and they got what is known as a spiritual experience. Oxford Group was essentially a group where normal people used to go and people used to go to get a close sense of God. It also used to go by the name of moral rearmament. And they found a peculiarity that, you know, this 
Some drunks used to get into Oxford group. They used to do the first century Christianity tenets that were outlined by Oxford group. The steps, six steps of Oxford group. And they used to come out sober. So there was a series of coincidences that's outlined in our book that led to a Carl Gustav Young uh, asking Roland Hazard to go into the Oxford group. Roland Hazard giving it to Ebby Thatcher and Ebby Thatcher, who was a childhood friend of Bill W. That famous story in Bill's story, which says, you know, I have religion and he calls him to Oxford group and Bill gets his spiritual experience as the result of the steps of Oxford group. <laughs> And I'm now getting warmed up with my sponsor and I'm saying, okay, this is good. This is good. This is amazing. This is superb. How do I know that is there a guarantee that I will get a spiritual experience? He pointed me to how it works, which we read in all the meetings every time. And he says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. At one stage, actually, Bill W. was recorded. He was asked, okay, will you change any single word from page 0 to page 168? And Bill said, I'll change chapter 5's first word from rarely to never. Never have I seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. But there are those who do not recover. And they are people who cannot or will not give themselves completely to this simple program. Chandrasekhar, please lift this chair. I cannot lift this chair. Please lift this chair. I cannot lift this chair. Fear. Chandrasekhar, please lift this chair. I will not lift this chair. Ego. Therefore, they actually earnestly beg of us to be fearless and thorough from the very start. They say, if you have the capacity to be honest, and if you have decided to go, willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. And he says, you may think that you can find an easier, softer way. But this book tells you that there is no easier, softer way except AA. The, the path of AA, which is the easiest and the softest way. And he pointed me out to the 12th step, 12th step of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, can you read the 12th step? And I read it saying, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. He asked me, does it say maybe you will have a spiritual awakening? Does it say having had a spiritual awakening as a result of your keen and intellectual mind? Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of your solid acceptance and surrender. Doesn't say that. It says, damn it, do the steps and have a spiritual awakening. 
we, and it says, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. And remember the play of words, it's so beautiful. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result, you will have only one result as the result of these steps, which is a spiritual awakening. And then we try to carry this message. When you say this message, what is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous? Is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, I run over to Pax House and say, hey, Pax, you're drinking. I used to be like you. You know, come, we hold the meetings there. And, you know, please come in. I've lost my job. I've lost everything, etc. But now I'm recovered. Please come and do the meetings. That is information to the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. The message to an alcoholic must carry weight and depth. The message to the alcoholic must carry weight grounded in a lot of facts. It needs to have a doctor's opinion. It needs to have a psychiatric opinion. It needs to have a religious opinion. And the message to the alcoholic must be grounded in experience. It needs to have depth. So he pointed out to me that, you know, in, in 1934, there was one recovering alcoholic, Mr. Bill W. He had a spiritual experience. In 1939, there were 100 alcoholics who wrote this book, which was the biggest 12-step job ever undertaken. And in 1939, 5,000 copies of the big book were published and about 8,000 recoveries took place. They had a spiritual experience. By the publishing of the second edition of the big book, it was 1955. In 16 years, there were 150,000 people who had recovered. In 1976, the third edition of the big book was published and you know about... Uh, a million people had recovered across 28 countries. And now there are about 4 million people. What did they get? They got nothing but a spiritual experience. So the level of this book is actually pretty high. You know, there was this book that I used to keep on my back pocket and sometimes go for a stroll, you know, and then, you know, as the result of the stroll, I used to land myself in a bar and open a whiskey and then start reading Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, in the bar, I should just walk around with it. I started understanding what the reverence or what the real actual meaning of this book was. And this book is not just a 70 rupee blue book. It's, it's the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the path to recovery from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It is a precise instruction manual to the recovery from a seemingly hopeless state of mental obsession and physical allergy. It is a precise instruction manual to get a spiritual experience. And it assures you of a guarantee that if you do what's outlined in the book, then you will get a spiritual experience. And this to me was hope. This to me was hope. This to me was attraction. And I said, voila, finally, I think I have got what it takes. Give me a minute, guys. Just get, grab a swig of water.
So we are suddenly we are suddenly you know faced with the prospect of you know you come here to recover from alcoholism. You want to kind of stop drinking. Your your job was to stop drinking, and this program is now going to offer you uh, a spiritual experience. And there were a lot of concepts which were not not going into my mind. You know, I didn't know what spiritual experience meant. You know, things like that. So he started easily. He made it very easy for me. He said, Chandrasekhar, are you an atheist? Are you an agnostic? Or are you a believer? Or are you a faithful? So I said, I have no clue. I don't know what I am. So I said, you should know. I said, I guess I'm atheist. So I said, look, you know, if uh, there was somebody like you know as intelligent as Albert Einstein who says, you know, um, E is equal to M C square and you know, therefore, you know, gamma is equal to beta and therefore God does not exist, then I'll probably believe him because he's got some credibility that he's saying there is no God. But even Einstein says, you know, God doesn't play dice with the universe. Many, many physicists say that, you know, God is at the start of religion and the end of science. Now, if you can prove to me that there is no God, then you say God. Or can you prove to me that, you know, you believe in God? I said, no, that I, I can't tell you. So he said, you're somewhere in the middle. The answer to that, you don't know. I said, wow, that is correct. I don't know. And he pointed out to me that the Latin translation, the word agnostic comes from a plus gnosis, which means without knowledge. And when you gain the knowledge, you're no longer an agnostic. When you gain the experience, you are no longer an agnostic. But we start at a very simple level as an agnostic, and we're going to go to gain what is known as a spiritual experience. This was proving to be different. I'd never heard this in the meetings. In fact, I'd never heard this anywhere. But he, he was all reconciling this with the big book. Max, I'm going to have to do a quick time check. 10 minutes more. Oh, yeah, yeah, just keep going, uh, Chandra. Okay. Just keep going. Don't worry okay. about the time. Yeah. Okay. Now, now he he pointed out to me saying, "Look, you know, uh, so so for me, I said, okay, this all this seems fine. You know, you you're giving me this lovely picture about you. You're going to give me a spiritual experience and things like that. So, uh, can I can I please uh, get started with the program?" And he says, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, you read how it works in, in India, in every meeting, how it works till the three pertinent ideas are read every day. The three pertinent ideas say that we were alcoholic, we could not manage our lives, probably no human power could relieve us from alcoholism, that God could and would if he was sought. And he said, you read how it works till that every day in the meeting, but you haven't tried peeking to the next sentence. And the very next sentence says that being convinced you're at step three. 
So the very fact that you've come this far, you're already on step three. I said, how does that work? I need to work something, some work paper. I need to do step one. So I said, the only way that you can work on your powerlessness is by drinking more whiskey. The only way that you can drink on your willingness, work on your willingness is drink more whiskey. And if you're lucky, you will come back and then we'll see what to do. I said, wow, this is good. So he says, can you quit? Let me diagnose you. I, let's say I'm the doctor. And I ask you, do you have shivering? Yes. Do you have fever? Yes. Okay, maybe you have malaria. Just get it checked. So let me ask you these questions. Can you quit? I said, no. My life history has shown that I cannot quit. Can you control? No, you cannot. Then you are alcoholic. If that be the case, then you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. I said, okay, let's get on with it. What does that mean? He says, you're powerless over alcohol. I said, yes, I am powerless over alcohol. Very good. He said, where is your unmanageability? He asked me to open up page 52. Page 52, second para says, we were having trouble with personal relationships. I said, yes, man, that is true. We couldn't control our emotional natures. You know, I measure my sobriety in terms of how many mobile phones break in a year. And there used to be quite a lot. I have a little bit of a cyclical pattern. I'm in my 10th year of sobriety and uh, I have broken one this year. Having trouble with personal relationship, could not control our emotional nature. We were prey to misery and depression. It's as if, you know, we were like these little, you know, doe deers just running around and we were prey to a lion of misery and depression at any point in time they could come. And we couldn't make a living. What it meant was I could get enough jobs, but I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't be faithful. I couldn't, I, could, I couldn't carry on doing the same job. And I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy without a drink. And although I wanted to, I wanted to take my wife, do all the daily chores. I wanted to do the best for her. I wanted to do, you know, take her out for movies. I wanted to take my baby to school. I wanted to take her to the park. I wanted to show her a lot of things. I just couldn't seem to have the capability to be useful to people. It was all there in the mind, but I couldn't do it. The necessary power to lead a good life wasn't there. And he says, in all these sentences, do you see anywhere that there's alcohol written? I said, no. He said, are you drinking now? I said, no. So where is the disease? Is the disease in alcohol? Is the disease in Chandrasekhar? I said, the disease in Chandrasekhar, in the mind. He says, very good. This is untreated alcoholism. Page 52, second para. The best way to recognize an alcoholic is not when he's drinking. Because if an alcoholic has, you know, let's say 12 pegs of whiskey, and if the purest man on earth, somehow we push 12 pegs of whiskey into him, he's going to behave the pretty much, pretty much in the same way. The best way to recognize an alcoholic is when he's not drinking, untreated alcoholism having trouble with personal relationships, could not control emotional nature, prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, had a feeling of uselessness, feel full of fear, unhappy, couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And he says, this disease is fatal 
progressive and incurable, which means that you will start having more and more trouble with personal relationships. You'll have trouble more and more lack of control on emotional nature, more and more prey to misery and depression. You will have a more and more feeling of uselessness. You will go more and more into fear, deeply into fear. You'll get more and more unhappy. And without alcohol, this thing is going to kill you. Without alcohol, this thing is going to kill you. And I see a lot of, I, I see, I, I've seen a lot of uh, old timers here who come, you know, who's relied on, you know, probably a different, different things who've invented their own path. And you touch them on a wrong day and, you know, you just feel that, okay, probably they were better people when they were drinking. I had my sponsor tell me that he took the steps in the fourth or fifth year of sobriety. And he says a lot of, at that point in time, he was so on his rock bottom, he didn't get emotional rock bottom. He didn't get alcohol in his hands. He had poison in his hands. And he says, with or without alcohol, this disease is going to kill you because this disease centers in your mind. So, okay, wow. That explains stuff. That explains stuff. And he says, do you now admit that you're powerless versus alcohol? I said, yes. He says, what does it mean? Are you powerless over alcohol? I said, if I drink, I will die. He says, no. You are powerless over alcohol doesn't mean that if you drink, you will die. It means you will drink and you will die. Oh my God. Or you will drink and you will go insane. Coupled that with, you know, what's written on page 52, I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. And then we started off on this journey. In step two, it was came to believe. If I am insane, a sick mind can't give itself direction. It obviously needs a power and that power has to be greater than me. To restore me to sanity. Sanity comes from the Latin word sanitos, which means completeness. In Hindi, there's a very beautiful word for sanity called sampurnata. Completeness. Insane doesn't mean, you know, completely cookie. Insane means there's a pizza slice. There is one pizza slice which has just been knocked off your, your completeness. One pizza triangle is removed. And we are trying to fill it a lot with alcohol just to get complete. And it used to complete me. At one point in time, two pegs of alcohol really completed me. I was the best person on the planet. The issue is the allergy started. And now when I've been dried out, I've come out of rehab without any alcohol. I need something more cunning, more baffling, more powerful to fill that insanity so that I can get to completeness. I need to replace the two pints which Sonalina spoke about with something more powerful, more cunning and more baffling. And that one, the book says is God which you will find now. I am not going to go through the precise instruction set of recovery because it indeed is the precise instruction set of recovery. And apart from the big book, 
I really cannot give anything to anybody, right? But I'm going to share certain thoughts, revolutions, certain experiences which I've got as I did these steps. I did my fourth step with my sponsor and my sponsor explained to me that, you know, you're a person whose one leg is in the past and whose one leg is on the future. And he showed it to me on my fourth step. He said, you are mired in the resentments of the past and your other leg is in the fears of the future. How's it going to happen? What, what am I going to do? What's boss going to say? And so on and so forth. The other leg is, you know, why did she behave like that? Why did she dump me? What have I done? Why is my boss acting stupid with me? Resentments and so on and so forth. And essentially you're pissing on the present. Every big spiritual text, right? A simple one, the one by Eckhart Tolle, etc. I'm not referring to any other spiritual text. Every big spiritual text says that God can be found only in the now. But when my one leg was in the past and one leg was in the future, I have to be pissing on the present. I was never in the present. I remember when I was doing the ceremonies of my Hindu marriage, my priest had asked me saying, are you here or are you somewhere else? Now what the fourth step does is it enables you to look at your fears of the future and the, and the resentments of the past so that you come to a somewhat stable place on middle ground. I am a person who is completely imbalanced. If I want to play cricket, I need to bat. Otherwise, I'll take the bat and ball and run away. If I need to plan for a picnic with a group of friends or family, either you let me do the planning or buzz off. You guys do the planning. I'll just align. There is no middle ground. There is no thing called as compromise. There is no thing called as negotiation. There is no thing called as balance in my behavior with others. Reflect upon it. And not having this balance means is because, you know, my, my mind is never in the, in the present. Now, if this job is to get me to middle ground into that balance, once I have cleared the future, my fears, and once I have cleared the past, my resentments, I've come to some sort of a stable middle ground. Now, from that middle ground, I can see there is balance, but I need to expunge, I need to throw out from me the stuff that I've done, my deepest, darkest, darkest secrets, I need to vomit it out. I need to throw it out to somebody so that I'm in the clear. I need to shine a light on all the deepest, darkest secrets that I had. And so my sponsor led me to a Christian priest and he says, you are going to sit with him and for the next three hours and whatever you've written in your fourth step, you're going to talk to him. You're going to talk to him. You're going to spit it all out. 
and whatever stuff that you've done, you know, people you have wronged, uh, nefarious activities that you've done, all your escapades, all your, um, you know, anything that you're ashamed about, if it's in your mind, it needs to be out on paper and it needs to be out with the priest. And I said, okay. And I sat with the priest and my mind was playing games saying, don't tell him everything. Don't, you know, I belong to a school wherein, you know, don't, don't expose anything. Even if you're caught on video doing it, never say yes, never admit. But as luck would have it, the priest happened to be a very comforting human being. And, you know, I sat with him for two or three hours. I don't know how much. And I just told him everything about my life. And at the end of it, he spoke to me and he said, son, you're free. You can just leave. You are, you are free to go. That's what he said. And I remember walking out of that little chapel. And my shirt was wet. There were tears flowing down my eyes, but I was not crying. The grass and the green of the trees looked greener. It was as if the clouds were descending down into Maharashtra, the place which I was. The blue of the sky looks more and more azure. There was a slight drizzle in the air and there was wet mud. There was a smell of wet mud, the first wet mud. And I sensed I was walking half a foot above the ground. I was just floating back to where I had to go. There's a promise in the book that says after the fifth step, you will start having a spiritual experience. And that point in time, I knew what was happening to me. I went to my sponsor. I remember my counselor calling me that day saying, I believe you've done a fifth step. I said, yes. She said, how do you feel? The first words out of my mouth were, I know I will never drink again. This person who had left rehab about two months earlier, who was completely stripped of his confidence, who was open to believe any Tom, Dick and Harry for any solution, had found a sponsor and had done till step five. And he knew from the bottom of his heart that he will not drink again. And once I've expunged out whatever dirt I've collected over the years, and I've come to a balanced position, and my feet are now in the present moment because I've cleared my past and I've cleared my future, there is only one thing that can harm me. And that is the bad karma of the past. I've set things rolling so badly in the universe that there is a universal law called as you sow, so you shall reap, which will come spinning back to me. So if I have, you know, crashed Pax's car or I have, you know, stolen money from ooze, or if I have, um, you know, beaten up, um, uh, uh, you know, one of my friends or, you know, if I've done something stupid with somebody else or if I've damaged a portion of somebody's house, I need to make those are the things that are going to pick up steam and come back to me because the universe behaves in a certain way. For me, it was just an idea. Karma was just an idea. Today, I know it's a fact. When I look back, there is physics and then there is the physics of physics, which is called metaphysics. At the end of 12 steps, you can actually look back and say, this is the way karma will work. 
So these things are going to pick up speed and come back. And so step eight says, just look at what you've done. Oh, I've created this, you know, massive damage. I've crashed this one's car. I've taken so much money from him, so much interest in you. I've beaten his face into the ground. A lot of things, etc. Just a small sorry will not do. You need to make amends in action, which is step nine. And once you do those amends, then you're in a safe middle ground. From there, you move into what is known as medio taros, walking the middle ground or walking the middle path or meditation. It is from there that you can go into meditation. Now, there are a lot of suggestions that the big book makes about meditation. But it also says, please be quick to see how men of religion, how men of faith are, you know, how following it. So it actually says, go and ask them, are there any techniques, etc., etc." And I read this delightful edition of Emmett Fox Sermon on the Mount. I've got the Srimad Bhagavad Gita uh, at my bed. I've got the Buddha's ninefold path and I try and see. But I keep coming back to the big book because more and more gets revealed. The basic text for us will always remain Alcoholics Anonymous. But be quick to see how others are right. We do not have a monopoly over spiritual experience in God. But if you're an alcoholic, the easiest, softest way is AA. Because we thought we could find one. For the past 80 years, we've not found one. There's a very beautiful sentence in the big book that says, let's say, let's, a famous exec said, you know, let's look at the records. Now you've come into meditation and nothing can harm you except for the daily dust that you pick up. So if you've had a bomb blast in your past, you're picking up all the big boulders, the rocks and you know all the accumulation of all the big garbage chunks in step four and step five, your grosser handicaps. And then the daily stuff which you pick up, the finer pieces, you know, glass pieces, mobiles breaking, etc., etc. You clean it out in the step 10. In step 9, at the end of step 9, there is a promise that says sanity will return. Oh, you will come back to completeness. You see, there is a big fallacy that, you know, at the end of all this, you're going to achieve sainthood. Because we're going to come to closer to God. And at least I used to think that way. So I did the first two, three steps. I started saying my prayers. And, you know, I used to be found in temples with an orange robe, etc. Initially, I thought I was nuts. People knew I was nuts. And now people got convinced that I had been nuts. You know, if you behave like that, then it was, it was crazy. But the fact is, this is not a program to get you to sainthood. This is a program to get you to a human being. Becoming a saint is damn easy. You just go to base camp, go further from there, sit on the Himalayas, just meditate for some time, you know, grow a long beard and things like that. Maybe you get to smoke some pot and things like that. Becoming a human, human being is, is tough, you know. You've got to settle your DUIs. You've got to buy the groceries of the house. You've got to pay your electricity bills. You've got to go for a job every day and that normalcy actually kills us to become a complete human being is the goal of our program and this is progress not perfection daily daily progress 
And today when I look back and, you know, I, I see a completely changed man and there is an opportunity for me to have a better Chandrasekhar next day, step 10, 11, maintenance growth, a better Chandrasekhar next day, a better Chandrasekhar next day. And I find myself really fortunate, right? God's given me two lives in one life. He says, oh, you know what, Mr. Prodigal son, come here. You want to be a womanizer, go this way, just do whatever you want. You want to do nefarious stuff. You want to have so much alcohol. You want to just party all your life. Do that, do that, do that. When you're down and out and when you hit rock bottom, come back and I will rocket you to the fifth dimension of existence. And that's where we are. I'm going to say one last thing and, you know, then end my sharing, maybe two to three minutes. Sorry, you know, we have this disease where once we start, we can't stop. And I'm going, to, I'm going to just end it in the next two minutes. If you notice the 12 steps, the first nine of them are in the past tense. We admitted we were powerless. We had, we came to believe. We made a decision. We made a searching and fearless for uh, moral inventory of ourselves. We admitted to God. We were entirely ready. Made a list of person. Made direct. I mean, these are all past tense steps. Once you finish that, you don't need to keep going there back again because the step 10 is a mini 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It's to clean all the dust that you pick up on a daily living. And then you move into prayer and meditation to improve your conscious contact with God. Exercise your free will to know what is God's will. And then, not as a part of service, but as a part of recovery, take this to other alcoholics who may need it. I tried taking the 12-step program to my wife once. And I said, make a list of all the people that you're angry with. Make a list of people that you're, you're harmed. And my wife was like, she didn't have more than one or two names. I mean, she thought and thought for three days and she, she wasn't even angry on me in recovery. And I said, are you crazy? She says, no, I'm not. I just don't. So how do you, how do you, how do you manage this? She said, look, you know, if I have a fight with somebody, I kind of call them up later and I see, I kind of reflect on this. I take a little bit of inventory and, you know, when I'm wrong, I call them and I clear, call, clear the air. So this thing, I clear the air, etc. I just didn't know how to use it. And then she says, you know, I sit in prayer, sometimes think about it and I do some dhyana, I meditation and it's okay. And then I go about selfless service, right? You need, you need dinner, right? Every day. I mean, your clothes need to be ironed. Uh, our baby needs to go to school. We need to get these things for the house. I need to do some cooking. I need to get to work. I need to tell you what all to do and so on and so forth. I said, yeah, man. So you just do, you just reflect upon it. When you're wrong, you promptly admitted it and you sit in silence, you reflect, you do some prayers, you do some meditation and then you selflessly serve others. 10, 11, 12. This program is to get us to normalcy, to become like other human beings. This program is not about jumping onto God, right? This program is about following the damn path, not inventing your path. Thank God the first hundred wrote this book. 
otherwise you know we are third generation a there was first generation a which was bill bob and the others then there was you know clarence schneider and clary and all these guys second generation generation a and the third generation known to just you know break down and drown every business and we are third generation a all these things would have completely collapsed if we didn't have the big book and my sponsor keeps telling me follow the damn path it doesn't ask you to invent a path to follow the path and as i continue to follow the path the lots of lots of things that uh, come to me and uh, you know i'd like to leave you with all the promises are coming true in my life uh, i think the pertinent phrase here is spiritus contra spiritum is the phrase that carl gustav jung gave to bill w when he circled back to him to thank him and that means only the holy spirit can cut the alcoholic spirit i'm just loving every day uh thank you for letting me share i'm going to just keep quiet now i know i've got a long uh long beyond time packs i want to call you uh on again i'm getting to mute hi um thank you chandra <laughs> it was brilliant just listening to you and um yeah i'll come back a little bit later and we can have a chat after but uh i really would like uh to kind of pretty much open it up and if you know we've you know we're kind of restricted to you know a uh, very simple sharing back um if you'd like to uh say a few words or anything um uh, just raise your hand on the participants and uh we will try and bring you in um but just be mindful there are a lot of people on here all right great so is studied when newton saw the effect of the apple falling down and went on and did the cause he discovered gravity it's called discovery when the effect is observed and the cause is studied it's called it's called a discovery when the effect is desired and the cause is created the right brothers saw these birds flying up in the sky and they said okay if i put a cycle engine and if i put some rudimentary radars etc can i make something fly if the effect is desired and the cause is created they made this kitty hawk at kitty hawk they made the first plane uh and they flew the right brothers created a plane then it's called an invention but when man himself is the result of a very great deep cause unknown knowing that cause can only be a revelation and across centuries across religions you have one message man's adversity is god's opportunity if you want to do a discovery and if you want to do an invention that requires human effort it requires human will a revelation just happens that's called the grace of god so the cause can only be revealed what we are doing as a result of these 12 steps are not only ego subduing steps but they are 
a series of metaphysical steps that can be found in the Sermon on the Mount, that can be found in the Bhagavad Gita, that can be found in a lot of religious texts. And that's why they say, please keep coming back, not to the meetings, but to the big book. Please coming, keep coming back to the big book. More will be revealed. More will be revealed. And I keep getting more and more revelations as I go through every year on the big book. And it's, it's amazing uh, talking about it with my sponsors and with my sponsors. Over to you, Pax. Mm -hmm.